turn over to to Romans. I don't know if this is where that song is from, but it just reminded me of Romans 8. Verse 31. And what I want to do, and, and you know, as I was driving over here, I'm going, Lord, I know what we normally do. We, you know, we sing, we, we get into the message, but I just want to be led by you. And if there's anything you want to change, change it and stuff like that. And so I'm just tr- praying. And even as we're leaving after praying, I told I told Jim, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen tonight if something different happens, but be ready. Um, and just as we're singing that last song, the Lord was just impressing on me to, to go to Romans eight thirty one. It says, what then shall we say to you, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely uh, give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I guess that's where that song comes from, right? That song that we're singing. It's a proclamation that that's who our God is. And, you know... My heart right now, as we are going to start, I just want to take a quiet moment. We're not going to pray out loud. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been dealing with. I know some of you men who went up to the retreat, got home, and got co-cocked by the enemy. And it's like nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing. And you need to believe that. I'm not saying, hey, you know, why don't you? It's like, no, you need to believe that. That there is nothing that can separate you. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Well, this whole world can be against us, but who's this, who's this world? You know, if he is for us, who can be against us? Well, Satan can be against us. So what? Even your own flesh will be against you. And so, you know, just let's just take a moment to just pray. But we're not going to pray out loud. You just pray for you. I don't know what you're going through. And maybe as you're praying and people come to mind, pray for them. If you know people around you, even if you don't know them, just pray for the person down the road from you. Just pray for them. But we're not going to be out loud, just nice and quiet for a little time. Let's just sit before the Lord and just lift your life up to Him. And and, and remember what we just read and what we just sang at the same time.
Yet in all these things, <coughs> we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life, or neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <coughs> Hang on to that, guys. Hang on to that. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. We left off last week with the Apostle Paul and those who were traveling with him, leaving Caesarea and headed for Jerusalem. They ended up taking along some of the brothers from Caesarea. And we don't know exactly how large this party was. But there was safety in numbers in traveling. It would have been a two, maybe three days journey. It was it's about 60 miles from, from Caesarea into Jerusalem to go over there, maybe a little somewhere around there. So it would have been two or three days journey. And they had less of a chance of being robbed when they had a bigger party. It was Pentecost and, or the time of Pentecost. And so people were coming from all over the known world to come out to Jerusalem. And so it was a, a, a great time for, uh, for robbers to be out there. You know, as people are making their pilgrimage um, to Jerusalem, um, travelers were, were open for, for robbing, you know. It was open season on them. And so it, 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 it was better to travel in a group, in a party, and there are a couple of reasons why Paul had to go to Jerusalem. He had a desire to be there for Passover. And as I shared, I think last week, um, when he was over by Corinth, um, he had a desire to jump on the ship and just go straight to uh, Jerusalem and be there for Passover but because of the plot to kill him. He decided, well, I'm just going to backtrack and go all the way around. And his heart was to be Therefore, the festival, for one of the, the festivals, or one of the, the feasts, I mean. Um, and, and, and Pentecost would fall like 50 days after um, Passover. And so he decided, well, I want to get back there for Pentecost. And so we see that he was doing whatever it took to get there. We saw something like this as far as getting back to to Jerusalem and and, and being a part of uh, these festivals at at the end of his second missionary journey he he had a desire um, to go back because in in acts eighteen twenty one he says I must by all means keep my coming <clears throat> keep the coming feast in Jerusalem so <clears throat> Paul even though he was a follower of of, of Christ, he still had a heart for his people, the Jewish people, and he wanted to be there in, in these festivals because a lot of people would be there. And I think his heart was to minister to as many people as he possibly could. That was his heart. And so the other reason that he had to go to Jerusalem was because when he was over in Macedonia and Achaia, 
um, there was people that knew the plight of the church of Jerusalem um, in that they were struggling and people were raising money. People were giving Paul money to send back to the church um, in, in Jerusalem. And so that was the, the other reason why Paul really wanted to get there. And I know he could have given it to someone else, but, but he, he wanted to be there. He, he wanted to be a part of it. And one of the things that I've always enjoyed and appreciated about the book of Acts is how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of people. And we see that in Peter in the, in the first part of the narrative. And then in the second part of, of, of the book of Acts, we see how the Holy Spirit was working in Paul continuously. But it was because Paul continued to move forward. He continued to, to just seek the Lord in every step of the way. And God was revealing things to him as he went along the way. And that's what I truly uh, appreciate about this book, that it shows us the life of the believer. When they are open to his leading, he will prepare the path for you. And, and you know, th- 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 there always seems to be a glimpse of what God is preparing you for. Now, it might not be as obvious as we see in the Apostle Paul's life, that, man, he was just opening up doors and then showing him Go this way. Go that way. Hey, when you get here, this is going to happen. These things are, you know, it it was as obvious as that, that he knew what was ahead of him. And for us, it might not be that way all the time, but there's always subtle details that God gives his people throughout his word, through messages, through a brother and sister that gives you a word, that gives you something. And all of a sudden, God is preparing you for something that is ahead. And I like that about the book of Acts. I can't tell you how many times I have been able to sit with people or talk with people. And as they're sharing with me what they're going through at that moment, and sometimes it's so hardcore, so heavy duty. And as in our conversation, as we're talking, all of a sudden they're saying something and I, and I, and I catch it sometimes and I go back to it after we're kind of done with that portion of the conversation, I said, God prepared you for that, didn't He? And it's almost like a light goes on and it's like, you're right. God was already speaking to me or God was already doing stuff back here so that when I'm when I was going through this, I knew He was with me or, or however it was because I can't tell you how many times that has happened in conversation or even in my own life you know, when I don't understand why I'm going through something and then I'm in the middle of it going, okay, maybe this is why this had to happen. But I think as we're being led by the Holy Spirit, God always prepares us for what's ahead. And I think that's why it's, it, it's crucial for us to just be in tune with the Holy Spirit, to be close, to be praying, Lord, what do you want? How do you want to do this? Lord, open up my heart. Open this. You know, always talking to Him on a continual basis. Today, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. When I go home for lunch, I take a nap almost every day. Hey, I need to. This face needs naps. It just doesn't happen like this. It's a lot of beauty sleep. A lot of beauty sleep. I told the guys at the, at the retreat, man, don't be bugging me because this thing just doesn't happen. I need to rest. But anyways, be that as it may, 
um, when I woke up from my precious nap, I woke up and I'm going, Lord, I just want to finish well. I just want to finish well, Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. And I, I, I often wake up with things like that, you know, and, and it's like I was just so excited. Well, because I had the nap, but to, to wake up and just to start talking to him in that way of saying, Lord, I want what you want. And I was so stoked about it. And, and not because I was teaching this message and I have no plans on sharing that with you, but, but now that you know that I take naps. But, but the fact that, man, we need to be talking to him about these kinds of things all the time. Because he is preparing our paths. And the book of Acts shows us time and time again. He confirms time and time again that when we are in tune with God, the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us continually. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's subtle, but he is working and working. And last week we saw the confirmations of of what God had been preparing Paul for in going to Jerusalem. And all of what would take place in Jerusalem would need to take place in order to get to Rome. Again, (laughs) he had a heart to go to Rome for some reason. And God was preparing him for that. And from here on out, from this chapter on out, the the rest of the book of Acts deals with Paul getting ready for Rome, to go to Rome. And it would be in this time frame that he would write the book of Romans. And he would send it off beforehand. And and even in Romans, man, he just says how much he desired to see their face and to fellowship with them. And he didn't know them, but he had heard a lot about them. And he, he would one day get there. I mean, it wouldn't have been the luxury cruise that he wanted, but he would get there nonetheless. And God had already put into his heart to go and visit these these brothers and sisters. And just like all his other journeys, <laughs> it wouldn't be boring getting there. Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 15, says, And after those days, we, pe- we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought them with... Uh, and brought with them a certain Nathan of uh, Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. Verse 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and to all the elders, and all the elders were present. When we had greeted them, He told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law, but they have been, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, 
do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles before uh, who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from uh, things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. We'll stop right there, but we are going to finish the chapter tonight. When they had come to Jerusalem, when they had made it to Jerusalem, it it, it is possible that those who were traveling with Paul, um, that they had a sigh of relief once they got to their destination. Once they got to to the brethren, um, because of the the warnings that they had, the, the prophecies that were, that were coming forth about what would happen to Paul and, and all the trouble that, that, that would be ahead of them. I'm sure once they got there, they thought, okay, now we're safe because now we're in the place where we're supposed to be and nothing happened to us. Nobody robbed us. Nobody jacked us. Nobody took us, you know, took anything from us. Nobody beat us up. N- none of those things. And Paul is safe. And so there may have been some apprehension uh, traveling with Paul uh, because of all that had been going on. But now they were amongst friends. And it says that the brethren received them gladly. It may have been because they were with the Apostle Paul and they were part of his entourage there, his posse. But wouldn't it be great if everyone was received gladly when they came in among the brethren. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing that that whenever someone stepped into a fellowship, a congregation, a church, that they would be received gladly? I, you know, and I, I, I kind of camped on that for just a little bit because that is always my heart, you know, uh, to receive people with gladness, you know, that they would feel welcomed, you know, and that's my heart for my leaders, and that's my heart for you. If you've been here more than two weeks, hey, welcome people. Make, make them feel welcome, you know, make them feel like they are, that you are glad that they have arrived. Because here, when we, when we see that these brethren get to their destination, there is this gladness, this rejoicing, like, bro, I am so happy that you are here. And I know for some of you it might be a stretch. It's like, man, I'm just not that personable and stuff like that. And it's like, well, ask God to change you. Why not? Ask God to to stretch you a little bit. You know? And and, and I know some of you would be going, but I just, just, that's just not me. That might be you, Zeke. That's your personality. That's not my personality. I'm like the shyest guy around. I'm kidding. Um, No, I'm not. I'm not. But but I know for some people that is the hardest thing. But if you went somewhere where you weren't known, 
Wouldn't you want people to gladly receive you in? And that's what I feel. It's like, man, if somebody walks in through these doors and you call this place your home, (laughs) your church home, then it's not just my job, it's your job to receive the brethren in with gladness, you know, so that you are reaching out. Man, I try to get to so many people. It is ridiculous how I try to stretch myself out. And I wish there was more of me, you know, so it's like, hey, ZK. Yeah, you know, it's like, man, can you imagine more of me? That would be ridiculous. But, <laughs> but I just feel like, man, any time that we come into the presence of brethren, whether it's somebody from afar off, from the distant past, whether it's day in and day out, whether it's a weekly basis, that we should just gladly encourage one another and say, I'm so glad you're here. Wouldn't that be amazing? Anyways, I'll move on from there. As they got together, though, on the following day with the leaders of the church of Jerusalem or in Jerusalem, James and the rest of the leaders, Paul got together with them. And the James that that is being talked about here is the one that we're studying on Sunday mornings in the book of James. He is the writer of that book. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul went into detail of all that God had done in him and through him in ministering to the Gentiles. He, he, he tried not to leave anything out. The, the, the third missionary journey that we just closed up, that's what he was sharing with them. He had done that on the second missionary journey when he, he met with them. He came in and he gave a report. And that is crucial, I think, uh, um, within the, the, the family of God that there would be accountability or a reporting of what's going on in other places, especially if they're being supported or especially if, if there's some kind of connection that they would be reporting somewhere. The Paul gives them uh, an update of what, what was happening among the Gentile community. And it is quite possible that that the that even though the writer doesn't mention it, Luke doesn't mention it here, it is quite possible at that very meeting when they got together that that is when the money was was given to the church in Jerusalem. The, the love offering that had been given by the churches. On, uh, and those churches were Gentile churches for the most part. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Paul really wanted to be personally giving it to them because he knew that the Jewish or the, the, the church in Jerusalem, mostly Jews, Jewish Christians had a hard time. And we're going to see a little bit and we read a little bit about the hard time that they still had with the Gentile brothers coming in. And it was almost like Paul saying here, man, this is from your Gentile brothers, man. They have a heart for you. They love you. They don't even know you. And they know that you have a hard time with Gentile people. But man, here's from the bottom of their heart, man. Here's some money for you guys. And I'm sure they were kind of just taken aback a little bit. It's like, you're serious. It's like, yeah, that's why I needed to be in Jerusalem to give you this. And so on behalf of the Gentile believers, he gave that to them. And so again, I I truly believe, as I was talking about earlier, about this accountability uh, when it comes to to ministry, when you're doing the work of the Lord somewhere, that you would be accountable to someone, to, 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 to a church at least, but at least to someone. Um, and, and again, some people might not think that that's a huge deal, but I, I think it is. I think it's important to be account, uh, accountable to others. 
Um, it's not commanded that we be accountable like that, but but I think it's it's encouraged so that people don't don't go rogue, you know, and just do their own thing. That 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 they're not just getting off base because they have no one to be accountable. You know, they're they're, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. And I think that's where a lot of people who begin ministries but don't have accountability get it themselves in trouble if they're not being accountable to someone. And so I, I like what, what was going on here, that Paul, even though Jerusalem was not his home church, he knew their authority as far as being the first church, being where, where it all started, uh, looking at James as, as one of the, the leaders and, and being accountable to him. Um, and so he, he continues on in verses, or as we continue on in verse 20 to 22, it says that when they heard it, they all glorified the Lord. Not only was there gladness being shown, but also they were, there was glorifying of the Lord. It means that they were adoring, exalting, praising, and thanking God for what He had done in and through them those who had come to give them the report. Now understand that Paul had a heart for all people. For all people. And when the Jews would reject him, he would move on and pay, give his attention to the Gentiles. Wherever he went, most of the time he went into the synagogue because he knew that his people would be there. And he wanted them to hear the gospel. And his desire was always to go in and among them. And, and more often than not, man, they got, he got rejected. And he would turn his attention towards the Gentiles. But the, the Jerusalem church was mostly made up of Christian Jews. And so it tells us here that they glorified the Lord and then they began to proceed to tell them, uh, you know, you know, brother, all these guys that, that you see around here, man, they're all um, the, the, the myriads, the countless of there's Jews who, who have believed. And they also are zealous for the law. These believing Jews that were in Jerusalem and the fact of the matter was that they still were zealous for the law, which means that they were enthusiastically upholding the law still. This is where, as I was reading, I'm reading this whole portion that we just read, and I'm thinking, Lord, is this right or wrong? Is this right or wrong that these people, these believers are still enthusiastically holding on to the law. Before I answer that, and before I touch on that, I, I want to say that this is probably why we have different churches and denominations. Here's why I think this, what we're reading, is wrong. Um, because of differences, most of the time, the minor issues pit Christian against Christian. And they're minor issues. Some of these things that are brought up here are minor issues. And yet they thought it necessary to share this with Paul. Hey Paul, I know you're out for the Gentiles, 
But man, these Jewish people, man, they're, they're saved too. And they still adhere to the law. And, and what I don't like about it is that when these minor issues are brought up and it pits brother against brother, sister against sister, it gives Jesus a bad name. And it gives the church a bad name. Now, that doesn't mean that these differences are good or bad, right or wrong. They're just different. Now, I'm okay with differences. I really am. But I'm not okay with fighting. I'm not okay with arguing or dividing. That's what I hate seeing, man. I hate that, and I know that there's differences. And people become so dogmatic in their differences that they want everybody else to be just like them. You see, I I would never go to another church or a different church knowing that they are different and insist that they do things the way I do things. I would never do that. (laughs) I would never enter into another establishment that is a church, a Christian church, and get upset because they're doing things different. I should understand that they are different. You should understand that as well. You should not get offended if you go somewhere else. And all of a sudden, they're doing things that you're not used to. Either you shouldn't have walked in, or you should have understood their differences, and not get upset. Because even within some of the Calvary chapels, they do things different, And I don't like it when people come in here. It's like, well, we used to do it like this over there. It's like, well, go back over there if that's what you want. (laughs) You know, because we are different. We're going to do it different. I'm sorry. But, but, But again, oftentimes people, it's like, they try to change the differences. Now, again, people are just different. You see, the issue of the Gentiles had already been dealt with, kind of. When Paul and Barnabas got back from their first missionary journey and they ended up going to Jerusalem and talking about what God was doing out, out there, the Jerusalem church kind of set this, 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 these guidelines. And, and, and he says, now we're just giving you some guidelines. They're not commands and he touched on it in verse 25 of what they were supposed to do or should do and again it was almost like to protect the jerusalem church and this is where again i almost have a problem with kind of what's going on here because paul and them go in there to give a report and now as as you know, as they start off, hey, bro, hey, glad to see you, all this and that. And all of a sudden, it's like, but there's some reports that are coming out. <laughs> and and these are the things that we're hearing. And I kind of got bummed out as I was reading this because there were things that, that, that were being said about Paul and his people that, that weren't really all true. I mean, it could be that, that Paul was out there saying you don't have to keep the law anymore. You don't have to get circumcised. But he was telling this mostly to the Gentile people. Now it's quite possible that 
that those who were Jews that were coming to Christ, that he was telling them, you're not under these obligations anymore. But we read nowhere in Scripture that Paul commanded them not to do these things. I felt the need, or they felt the need to express to him or remind him that these guys were enthusiastic over the law. And again, that subject about the Gentiles and the Jews had already kind of been dealt with. But it was coming up again. What I don't understand is why James, the leader of the church there, didn't tell these guys to tone it down. It's not a big deal, guys. Why, why would we bring that up? Or if things were already coming his way, why didn't he say things like, guys, it's not a big issue. Why are we going to battle over this? Well, Paul's going to come and we're going to tell him what it, you know. And, and, and I, I just feel like, why, why wouldn't he speak up? Knowing this, knowing that the book of James has already been written. He had already written the book of James. And he's so hardcore in a lot of areas. And I'm not like now upset at James and I'm going to teach it a Sunday morning because it's like, okay, James, forget you. Let's go move on to First Peter. I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of validity here. One of the things that I did as I was looking at this going, man, James has had to be, he has been dealing with this ever since he took over the church there in Jerusalem about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's been dealing with that. He writes a book about it, about what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm thinking, okay, he sends it out to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. It's like, hey, did anybody read it in Jerusalem? Did you guys keep a copy in Jerusalem and maybe read it to one another of how you're so, supposed to be treating one another? I don't know. Or just these people that came in felt the need that they have. That there has to be something said. And so while Paul is in there, <laughs> they're going to say these things. Again, I am certain that Paul probably talked about and dealt with these issues that he is being accused of. And he had every right to. That men are free from the law. That once you come to Christ, you don't have to adhere to the things that you had to adhere before. But he never commanded them so. This is what he said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the bondage of any. And so he, that, that was his heart. It's like, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> everything is lawful for you. But not everything is good for you. Not everything is helpful for you. None of these things that are mentioned here had to do with salvation. Although they did kind of talk a little bit on the issue of, of circumcision, that they had to get, that the Jews were saying that the Gentiles had to be circumcised before they can be saved, and that was settled years earlier. 
so now that they had all this out on the in the open in this meeting they said to Paul what then <laughs> in verse 20 22 what then the assembly is going to be gathering together in other words the church is going to be coming together and they all are going to know that you're here and they all have issues with you and in the amplified it says what then is the best that should be done a multitude will come together for they will surely hear that you have arrived now paul at this moment could have said you know what guys I came, I felt accountable to you guys, but I am out of here. If you guys are going to start bringing stuff up like this, I don't need this in my life. I, I could go get jacked up somewhere else outside the church. And I think that that's probably maybe what could have bummed him out, that man, it was prophesied that I'm going to be like handed over to the Gentiles and they're going to take me and, and bound me and this and that, but I didn't know I was going to get hit by my own peeps here, you know, as I come into the church, all of a sudden, now the church is coming against me. And so Paul could have easily said, you know what, you guys, you guys deal with it, man, because I'm out. He doesn't do that, and I truly believe that Paul wanted to show a united front, and he would deal with this. And if he could be a part of the solution, he would be a part of the solution, and he would fix it. He would try to fix it at least. And so in verse 23 and on, he says, or it says, Therefore, um, do what we tell you. And then he goes on, and we have these four men who have taken a vow, go and do these things. Now, I understand, or I have a hard time with this, but I understand it somewhat. Instead of the church dealing with and settling the issue once and for all between the Jew and the Gentile and and these things that have been said, instead they appease those who were having a hard time with it. But I think that the bigger issue was not just the Paul, it was the Gentiles. The, the, the Jews, the Jewish church or the, the, the Christian Jews were still having a hard time with the Gentiles. And instead of like, you know what, let's just sit here until we deal with this issue so we won't have to deal, deal with it again. Um, all of a sudden it's like, let's just, let's just do this. Let's just make it look good. And it almost sounds like Paul was compromising in what he believed in. And it's kind of hard to believe that he would go along with it. But if you would turn over to First Corinthians chapter nine, I kind of want to give you a glimpse as we hear from Paul of what he would do in order to win people to Christ. And I don't think he compromised his life ever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, this is what he says. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win the more. To the Jew I become as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, 
that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I may win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I, that I might by all means win some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partakers of it with you. Paul was saying, I'll, I'll, I'll do what it takes. I'll do what it takes. Because he was a Jew, he understood their culture. He understood that some of them were still hung up with some of their traditions. And he says, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me to go along with this issue because it's not going to change my heart. It's not going to change what I'm persuaded of doing. I'm willing to, 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 to be with the Jews and do what they do if I can win some to Christ. So he, he was not compromising. And, and, and when you see his life, you see that when he picked up Timothy, because he was a half Jew and half Greek, because he knew that they would be ministering to, to Jews, he had Timothy circumcised. He didn't have to, but he did. He says, hey, Timothy, i got a great idea. <laughs> but yet with Titus who was a Greek, he didn't have him circumcised, even though he would be dealing with a lot of the Jews. He didn't have him circumcised. But we also know that in Acts chapter 18, it tells us that Paul had made a Nazarite vow, kind of similar to what these guys were doing here. The hard time that I have here is when they say to Paul, do what we tell you. I, I, I kind of underlined that and I kind of circled the word weak. And it's like, shouldn't they have said, hey, do what the Lord tells you to do here, bro. But instead they're saying, do what we tell you to do. So that it all kind of plays out in the end. And as I was looking at this, I thought, man, here's the humility of Paul. Who Paul could have easily said, bro, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do what you tell me. I'm going to do what the Lord tells me. I think he was in prayer, even as they're talking to him, and saying, Lord, I just want to settle this issue, and I will do whatever it takes. And he humbles himself and submits himself to these leaders in the name of unity and peace. What I do get from Paul here is someone who is not afraid to do something that is not Christian. <laughs> he knew what he was, who he was. He knew who, who he was in Christ, but he was not afraid to do something, even if it meant nothing to him anymore, it meant something to everybody else. He was willing to do it. Now, I will preface that by saying there needs to be maturity <laughs> before doing something, that is not Christian. Now what I mean is that we are not to be persuaded or be made to stumble by doing something out of the context of Christianity. We don't want to make other people stumble either by what we allow or what we engage in. 
that's outside the church. And the only thing I could really relate to in this instant is, is things that, that are done within the Catholic Church. And I say it like that because I came out of Catholicism and I have a lot of family still in Catholicism. And I have a choice to make when I am invited to go to a baptism or go to a first communion or go to a wedding or go to a funeral. I have a choice to make it, whether to go or not to go. And you see, for me, it doesn't bother me, not one bit, to go into a church like that that that, that might be totally different from Christianity. I learned more about the Catholic Church after I came out of the Catholic Church than when I was in it. And so I understand what they do. And even though I don't like it, I don't take offense to it in the sense that it's going to stumble me. I don't take offense to that because I know what they're all about. What my heart is, I want to be there for the people who have invited me to go, that I may be a light to them. That they might, because years ago there was a, a, a couple that we were talking to and they were not going to go to a relative's wedding because it was at a Catholic church. And I said, well, right on, if that's what you have decided, stand on those principles. But there will be other times that you're invited to go other places and you will have to take a stand like that. And for me, when I look at this, Paul was not afraid to go into the, the, the temple once again and, and even be with these guys and go through this process or this, this purification thing because he knew it meant nothing to him. But in order to keep the peace, he was willing to do it. And it's almost like Paul here was, was a sponsor to these men. Even though he went and purified himself, it says that they shaved their heads. They are the ones that gave the offerings. But yet Paul was the, 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 the godfather, if you will, the padrino that goes you know, and, 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 and pays for, for this thing. And again, some people will have a hard time with that. There, there are certain things that if I was asked to do in somebody else's religion, I, I, I'd, I'd decline. They just go against what I truly believe. But there's other things that it's like, I'm not going to be swayed either way. And I think, again, there has to be maturity. If, if you're going to be engaged in things that are outside the church, that you would be mature about it, that you would understand. If you don't know about the church that you've been invited to go, then learn about it. Know what they believe so you're not stumbled when you get there. And again, if God tells you don't go, then do not go. But if He says, I want you to be a light, don't fight against God and say, oh Lord, never. I will never step foot in another church. <laughs> you know, Peter had that argument years ago in Acts, where God says, hey, I want you to go over here. He says, never, Lord. When he told them, kill and eat, never will I ever do that. And he says, don't you call unclean what I've called clean. And so again, this portion of Scripture just kind of was a little difficult because it's like, Paul, what are you doing? But I think what he was doing here is trying to keep the peace and trying to settle matters. Again, I, I would say that whenever you make a decision, 
that you would prayerfully make the decision and not just say no or say yes, but you would prayerfully do it. Verses 27 to the end of the chapter. This is what had been prophesied about Paul, what would he would be coming up against. And again, I, th- I truly believe that him being a part of this, this ritual, this, this thing, kind of got the ball rolling. And so in verse 27, it says, Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the whole, this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the, uh, uh, the Ephesian, with him in the city whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. When the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done, and some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, tumult, He commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? And he replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given permission, given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when he there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, We'll stop there. What did he say? Wait until next week. <laughs> but you see how, how because of what had happened earlier, he is now being propelled into, into what, had already been prophesied that you will be bound and you will go, they will take, they will seize you and all these things. And so, man, it is coming to pass. And I'm sure as he's getting beat up, he's going, this is what God meant. 
you know, and I'm sure he's wanting them to stop, but he's going, they're going to kill me and I'm okay. Because I've already said, none of these things move me. I'm ready to die. And he was willing to go for it. In the, in the guise of, of peace and unity, he knew that he was doing the will of the Lord. And he could care less if he died at that moment. And it's interesting because after they come and save him and they're taking him away, he still has a heart for those people that were beating on him. He says, can I talk to them? And you're thinking, really, Paul? And it's like, yeah, that's his heart. That's his heart because he knew he was doing the will of the Lord. And if he got killed in the barracks, he wanted to give him one last chance. That was his heart, guys. You know, this, this portion of Scripture was kind of difficult in the sense that it's like, why would Paul do some of the ritual things that he had come out of? And again, my heart, as I was looking at this, studying this, is that he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to step out a little, do something out of the ordinary, to be led by the Spirit in, 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 in the name of peace and unity. He was mature enough to understand that he would not be persuaded. He would not be... He would not fall away and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I think I have a different... No, he knew Jesus. And I want to encourage you guys, you know, if, if doors are open for you to be in and among other people that are not, you know, in this little place, then pray about being a light somewhere. I know many of you guys get up every day and go to work and you're among people that are dark and perverted and all those things. And I praise God for you. Because you are touching people that I can never go and touch anymore. When I was working construction, I loved that. I loved being around these sinners. I really did. You know, this week I was able to go back on campuses. I love that. I love being in, in, in a place that God can help me be a light. And again, last week when I said, you know, we should be around people that are cussing and this and that. It's not like you go looking. It's like, gosh, where do I go? I, maybe the Thunderbird. I'll go with Thunderbird. <laughs> You know, because there are people that are cussing and they're, I'm not saying do stuff like that. I'm just saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. If he is for us, who can be against us? If he is, if he has given us all the tools, why not use them for his glory? Guys, we want to gladly encourage people here and, and man, we're so glad you're here. But man, as you walk out these doors, you're walking out into the mission field, people. When you walk out these doors, that's where ministry begins oftentimes. When you wake up in the morning and you're headed to work, man, pray, Lord, use me. Even if I don't say a word, use my life. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing, guys. We need to, to build one another up. We need to be encouraging one another, but we also need to be out there because they need to hear the gospel. And so please pray before you go and do stuff, man. It's like, Lord, open the doors. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding how to speak to these people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this time, Lord God, and for this portion of Scripture, Lord, as we begin to see um, just how, how you work in Paul's life, Lord God. Lord, I, I just thank you, Lord God, that even through this difficult portion um, just showing me, Lord God, and relating to me, Lord God, the things that that go on in my own personal life, Lord, with my family. Um, Lord, you know how much I, I love them, Lord, and I want to be around them. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, 
I know many times we have a hard time around our non-believing family members and friends, Lord, but I pray for boldness and wisdom, Lord. Lord, when we read the Gospels and it tells us that you sat with sinners and tax collectors, Lord, you are going to influence them. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would be an influence wherever we find ourselves, that we would not be afraid, Lord, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And give us the boldness that we need each and every day. And I pray for my brothers and sisters when they find themselves in those dark places, Lord God, when they're being challenged, Lord God, when they're being tempted, Lord, please, Lord God, just give them strength, Lord, to have victory, to not be afraid of, of what the, the world has or, or what the enemy throws at them, but that they would stand with boldness, Lord, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And so I pray your blessing upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer for anything, man, come on up. Let's all stand as we sing.